And we know that the receiving of an offering is an act of worship. That's why we do it. It's an act of expression of giving back with gratitude to what God has given us. But man, it's just, that really was an act of worship then. Such beautiful, so beautiful. Thank you, Judy and Ashlyn and Jeff. That was that just set the tone right. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the third chapter of Romans as we continue our study in this great epistle of the Apostle Paul. Last week we looked at verses 27 through 31 and actually basically dealt with verse 27. I touched on some of the others, but I want to go back one more week and look at these verses because they are important to our understanding of the gospel and our understanding of our Christian life. They're important that we, we grasp these and clearly walk in an understanding of them. Paul asked three questions here. Now I do want to make a confession. The old saying, confession is good for the soul, but bad for the reputation, and I guess this is one of those times. Last week in reading this, I very carefully and very emphatically and with great emphasis had I meant it, as one man told me this week, had I meant it, it would have been heresy, okay? I put in a word that is not there. Uh, It was the simple word, no. Why I read that there, I don't know why I did it. Uh, it, it put N-O in, it was K-N-O-W, I don't know why I did it, but uh, it changed the whole meaning of the text. And I read it through the first time wrong, and then for some reason I just felt it didn't sound exactly right, and so I reiterated that, and I said, did you hear that, and read it wrong again? Lord willing, I'm going to read it right today, okay? So hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 3. Verses 27 through 31. Then what becomes of our boasting? I want you to notice the three questions Paul asks here. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Now hear this carefully as I emphasize verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And as we respond to these three questions that Paul asks and then responds to, as we hear his response, and Lord, hopefully make that our response. May we see, Lord God, the truth of your salvation. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Paul asked three things. Now realize in these first three chapters, the Apostle Paul is specifically zeroing in on and thinking about our justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, before God. 
He's thinking about what makes us right with God. And his questions are quite clear in summing up these first three chapters by, by talking about that. He's not talking about, at this point, our sanctification. He will get to that. He's not talking about why we come to the point of, of, of growing in Christ and what it is that brings us to grow in Christ. He will deal with all that. But right now, he's very laser-focused on the fact that I want to talk to you about how man or how woman becomes right with God. How do you become justified in the presence of God? How do you hear those great words from God's judgment bench come, not guilty? And he says, I want you to understand, it's not by the law. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by living a good life. It's not by going through so much religious observance that you check off boxes and you say, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this, so thus God may have, to, God just must love me and must accept me and must receive me. That is not the issue, Paul says, at all. The issue is this whole concept of faith. He even calls it the law of faith. It's this whole concept of what it means to walk by faith. He began this epistle with that talking about I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, that is, all who have faith. He said, this is the gospel I'm not ashamed of. It changes men and women. It makes them right before God. It does a great and gracious, mighty work in a person's life. And then he comes to the end of chapter 3, and he closes it out with these three simple questions. Last week we looked at pretty much number one. When, when Paul simply said, you know, what, what becomes of our boasting? Paul was a man who boasted a lot. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a very religious man. And, and, and he liked for people to look at him and say, you know, there goes Paul. That is a righteous man. There is a man who works hard at keeping the law. There is a man who does everything he can to check off all the religious activity boxes that are known to man and possible by man, by man, there is a good man. And then the Philippians, after cataloging all those things, he said, and yet, when I came face to face with Jesus, and that's what we have to do, when I came face to face with Jesus, all that religious stuff, all of that activity, all of that heritage of mine, it became like garbage. It was absolutely of no value and surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord and walking with Him and walking in Him. It's a matter of grace through faith. And so he says, you have no reason to, you have no reason to boast. You have no reason to brag. You have no reason to say, I'm I'm righteous because of what I've done. I'm a good person because of what I've done. If you have anything to boast about, your boasting has to be in Jesus Christ alone. I am boasting in the cross of Christ that His death, burial, and resurrection has invaded my life and changed my life and made me right with God. Paul says that's the only thing there is to boast about. Boasting in yourself is excluded. And that word excluded is a very strong word. That means there is absolutely, positively, no place for it and no room for it in a believer's life. So he says, okay, what becomes our boasting? It's excluded. You see, we human beings are just natural boasters. 
we, we many times do it and don't even intend to. But we'll drop a name or we'll, we'll, we'll say, oh, you know, I did so-and-so. And, so, and it, we just kind of start bragging. And we'll do it in our Christian life if we're not careful. And Paul says, understand this. You are what you are because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's it. You are what you are if you're in Christ because of Christ's gift of grace. Not because of what you have done. You're not everything you need to be. You're not everything you will be. That's sanctification. But right now, before God, you are what you are right with Him because of His grace. And, and those who have been justified by faith in Christ, boasting is excluded. Then he asked a second question. He said, is God the God of the Jews only? Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? And Paul says, yes, of Gentiles also. Now, if you remember back to the very beginning of this book study months ago, when we started walking through Romans, I, I told you that Paul is, is in many ways setting out a, a legal brief about what takes place in the Christian life. It's, it's very meticulous, but he's also anticipating questions and answering them. And it may very well be that he wasn't just anticipating these questions, but he was hearing these questions and he was answering to the Romans. Well, is, is God not the God of the Jews? You know, if we go back to the Ten Commandments that we read earlier, and we'll get back to those in a minute, but we go back to the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the covenant there with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, even the Abrahamic covenant back earlier before that, and, and other covenants that God established, were they not always with the Jews? So is, is God not the God of the Jew only? You can't have a relationship with God if you're not a Jew, can you? And, and many in, in Paul's day said, that's right, you can't. So you've got to convert to Judaism, and go through all the ritual, these were the Judaizers, and go through all the rituals of Judaism, and then have faith in Christ, and then you'll be made right with God. He's the God of the Jews, so you've got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. Paul said, there are many of you that are teaching that, there are many of you that are believing that, and that is absolutely untrue. Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles also. Even if you go back to the, the Abrianic and, and, and the Mosaic Covenant, each of those covenants talked about the Jews being a missionary people to the nations. They were to go out to the nations and take the truth of the one true and living God, the one triune living God, and yet they failed to do that. They said, oh, no, we're the chosen people. We will keep it for ourselves, and we'll enjoy it, and we'll brag about it, and we'll boast about how God chose us and didn't choose you, ha-ha, and we'll make a big deal out of this fact that we belong to him exclusively. Paul said, I want you to understand, he's not just the God of the Jew, he's the God of the Gentile also, because there is only one God. God is one. And he will justify the circumcised by faith, and he will justify the uncircumcised through faith. Now, if I had time this morning, I'd take you and show you why the by there and the through there mean absolutely the same thing. Paul is not giving some kind of little nuance and a little hint here that, that maybe the, the Gentiles get in one way through Christ and, and through faith, but the Jews get in another way by faith. It's the same thing. In other places in Paul's writings, he will switch up those terms often, meaning the exact same thing, but just giving it a little different, a little different statement as he makes it. He's meaning the same. If you're a Jew, you must come by faith. If you're a Gentile, you must come by faith. There is no other way. 
Now, now we live in a day of inclusivity. We live in a day that says, man, if you say there is only one way to God, which is what Paul is saying here, by the way, salvation by grace through faith means there's only one way of salvation for everybody to those who believe. Doesn't matter if they're Jew, Gentile, black, white, uh, you know, if they're born in Asia, if they're born in Europe, or they're born in the United States or South America, doesn't matter where they are or who they are. There is but one way through Jesus Christ. Paul is not quoting Jesus here, but he's really saying the same thing that Jesus said uh, that when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, but through me, in me, is the only way. And so Paul says, I want you to see, if you're in Christ, you can't boast. But if you're in Christ, you also ought to see that this is the only way to him. But even more than that, you need to understand that this unites all believers in Christ. It brings all believers in Christ together in unity, and it excludes any kind of discrimination based on race. It just totally wipes it out. Paul said, if you've got a black brother, he's your brother in Christ because he came the same way you did through faith in Christ and was adopted in the same family that you were adopted in. There is no distinction there. I, I titled this, Distinctions are Abolished and the Law is Established, this sermon this morning. The distinctions of race and the distinctions of nationality and the distinctions of where you, a person was born is absolutely eradicated at the cross, in the gospel, in justification. Paul said, I want you to understand that it is only through Christ. God is one. He hasn't built a bunch of different ways to get to him. And, and, and you know, in our day, we have the old uh, picture that some people want to paint and say, well, you know, God is sitting at the top of a mountain, figuratively speaking. And there are some routes that go up on the south side that might be Buddhism and Islam and any other things. There are some that go up on the, on the other side of the mountain that you can't see the other side. And those are Christianity and, and other ways. And so everybody's climbing the mountain their own way. But when they get to the top of the mountain, everybody finds the same thing. God. Paul says, I'm sorry. God is one and God is truth and God has laid out the only way that is acceptable to him, and that way is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So he says, is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's the God of the Gentiles too. He, he's the God of all men who, who will acknowledge him. If you go to the book of Revelation, you're going to find out that in that day there will be people that have come to Christ from every nation, tribe, tongue, nationality, ethnicity, Every, everyone that you can imagine, there will be people there in Christ that we didn't even dream of. Matter of fact, we're going to get to heaven one day, and we're going to be surprised at some of the people we see there. But don't feel too bad about that, because there are going to be people there who are going to look at you and be surprised that you're there. Okay? So it goes both ways. It goes both ways. But nobody's going to get there apart from, from trust, faith, in Jesus Christ alone. People ask me all the time, how, who can come? I say, anybody can come. 
but, but what do you mean anybody can come? Anybody who puts their faith and trust in Christ. He said, those who believe in me, I will not cast out. Those who put their trust in me. So anybody that wants to come to Christ can come to Christ. And, and that's what Paul is saying here. It is not exclusive of any sort of, it, it's, not, it's not excluding anybody. It, it's, there are no distinctions. It's just one way through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul says, if you're in Christ, you can't boast about it. You can't look at somebody who is not a believer and say, you know, I'm a Christian. He or she is not a Christian. But you know what? I was smarter than they were. I knew I needed to come. I, I just recognized Jesus and said, that's who I need to go to. No. If you look at somebody who's struggling in their faith, you can't say, well, you know, I I'm sorry about you, but I, you ought to get it together like me because I'm walking with Jesus. I'm, I'm having a great relationship with Christ. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sorry about you. You just need to pull yourself up and do it. No. It's not by our works. It's by His grace. It's by His work in our life as we submit to Him and walk in Him. So Paul says, I want you to understand, it's not by what you may have done or may not have done. It is by the grace of God at work in your life. He is one God. He has established the way, and it's all by grace. Then he asks that third question. The third question is simply this. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we abolish the law? Do we do away with the law? I mean, there are some people, and, and maybe some sitting here this morning, I don't know, who would have said, why did we waste a, a block of time reading responsibly the Ten Commandments? That's the law. That's the Old Testament. That, that's no longer for us. That's just for the Jews. And, and we're not Jews. We're in Christ. We're Christians. And here we are. Why read the law? Hasn't that been set aside? Hasn't that been abolished? Well, Jesus answered that pretty quickly and pretty clearly. When they were questioning him, he said, I want you to understand something. I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. There's a great difference in those two. I came to fill it up, to make it full. I came to show you the real meaning of the law, why it was given to start with. I didn't come to abolish the law. And he went on to say, and, and not one jot or tittle will pass away before the end of the age. They will stand complete. They will stand firm until the end of time we say well paul you just said we only do this by faith that the only way to be justified is not by a law of works but by faith by a law of faith by the law of faith that that we hold that that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law so what is the what is the law all about haven't we done away with it? Haven't we overthrown it? Haven't we abolished it? And I love how Paul asked that question and immediately says, by no means. Some translations may say, God forbid, heavens no. Absolutely not, Paul is saying. And I'm sure there's some of those Romans who are reading this for the first time or having read to them the first time in the congregation who are scratching their head like maybe you are and say, wait a minute, if the law no longer saves then what about, why do we even need it? Here's a spoiler for next week. The law never saved. 
The law never saved. Now, in the Ten Commandments, he said, now, if you will keep this, if you can keep this, if you do keep this, then all will be right. But if you realize what we read back in chapter 19, that first verse, how hard would it be to put that first verse of the responsive reading back up there? These guys are good. They can do it. In that, in that verse out of 19, he said, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Not what you did to the Egyptians. Not how you saw and figured out a way to get out of Egypt and out of slavery. You saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Folks, that is grace. That is grace. And to get there, they had to, in the, in the Exodus, before they even got out of Egypt, they had to believe God. When God said, if you, put the, if you slay the lamb and put the blood on the, on, the, on the doorpost, the death angel will pass by you. But if you don't put it there by faith, I mean, what good is blood on a, on a doorpost, for heaven, heaven's sake? It has no value at all unless God says, there's how you'll be delivered by trusting in that. And by believing in that, and even that picture of blood on the doorpost was a pre-picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being sacrificed. And so even before we got the law, even before the law was given, grace was shown by God toward those who were taken out. Some claim that Grace nullifies law altogether, and Paul denies this and says, no. The law is established. The law is upheld by grace through faith for salvation. Now, maybe you scratch your head and say, how in the world is that the case? Well, there are several ways to look at that. One is that the law is upheld because Christ came as the Messiah, Christ came as the Savior, and he did fulfill the law. The only person in all of human history, all of human history, the only one person that obeyed the law perfectly. Never broke one. Never coveted. Never committed adultery. Never lied. Never stole. Never worshipped a false God. Never, never bowed down before an idol. I mean... On and on and on. And, and then we look at it and we say, well, we haven't broken all of them, just one or two here or there. But the Scripture says if you break one, you've broken them all. They're, they stand together. So Paul said, I want you to understand, Christ fulfilled the law, and that when by faith you are in Christ, then His righteousness, His law abiding, is, is clo you're clothed in that. It is imputed to you. It is added to your account because of his glorious work. But it's also upheld in another way. It's upheld in another way to show what the real purpose of the law is. That it was never given to save anybody, but it was given to show you your need for a Savior. Your need for a Savior. It was given to show you that you can't keep it. No matter how you try, no matter how much you want to, no matter how much you grit your teeth and, and strain and say, I'm going to do this, no matter what. Scripture is clear, you can't do that. 
But Christ has fulfilled the law, fulfilled the law for all those who put their faith and their trust in Him. So what Paul is saying in this passage is, is understand salvation by grace upholds the law rather than subverting or destroying it or, or disposing of it. It doesn't nullify it. It gives you a clear understanding of what the purpose of the law is and recognizes that I have now been redeemed in a way that God has fulfilled that law in my life through His Son. Doesn't mean I still won't struggle with it. But it does mean that I have one who has paid that price and that penalty. And, and He is mine because by His grace I have trusted in Him and put my faith in Him. Not in my own works. Not trying to be better. Not of trying to, you know, somehow work out something that God would say, okay, well, that's good enough. It's never good enough. It's always on the basis, always on the basis of His grace. So, so we look at this passage, we come to the close of this third chapter, and we really see three principles that flow out of it. And, and I want you to, I've said these, I want you to hear them again, and I want you to leave here thinking about these. The first principle is it humbles sinners and excludes boasting. It is a, the gospel of, of, of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. The, the gospel is a humbling thing. If you see somebody saying, I'm proud, I'm a Christian... You need to ask them a question, why? Because usually you'll find out it's because they're trusting in their own work and they think they've done a good job. Being saved by grace is a very humbling thing. It, it humbles us in the presence of God and it humbles us in the presence of one another. Secondly, it unites believers and it excludes discrimination. It, it unites believers, and it excludes discrimination. It's not for Jews, not excluding Gentiles. It's for all of the human race who come to Christ by faith. And it ought to unite us. It ought to make us open to one another in ways with the gospel that we never would have dreamed of. Sharing in that together. It totally demolishes racism. Totally demolishes it. As a sin that needs to be dealt with by the cross. And thirdly, it upholds the law and excludes antinomianism. There's your new word for the week. If you don't know that, that's your word for the week. Learn it and work it in somewhere, okay? probably won't be able to. Antinomianism just means against law. Nomos is the Greek word for law. Anti is against. And antinomianism says the law is totally wiped out. The law is 
totally excluded. And, and there are many who are antinomians in the church today. And they live their life in abject sin, thinking, well, I'm, I'm in grace, man. I can do whatever I want to do. And Paul is saying here, that's ridiculous. We may not be able to keep the law by following Christ, but let me tell you something. The, the new covenant that, that the writer of Hebrews talks about and, and, and that Jeremiah talked about says that now when you are adopted into the family of God and you're made a part of the family of God and now you're in this relationship that the law of God that once was written on some stone tablet somewhere that you're scratching your head saying, how am I going to do this? That law has now been written on your hearts and on your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit within. And when there is a breaking of the law, the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, says, that's sin. You, you need to repent. You need to turn away from it. That is disobedience to what God's purpose is in your life. And the law that's written on our hearts and the law that's written in our mind, the law that's empowered by the Holy Spirit brings us conviction, and repentance. That's why we never are satisfied. If we're a true believer, we never are satisfied walking in sin. We will have sin full times. There's no doubt about it. But they're never really satisfying to the believer. It's, it's the sheep and pig analogy, picture. Clean them up, put a bow on them, if, if a sheep falls in the mud hole, it gets up, shakes it off, tries to find water quickly to be washed off because it's just not natural. Clean a pig up, he falls in a mud hole, and he goes, ah, now this is what I like. There's a difference in the believer's life because of justification there's a difference in the believer's life because of the law of faith that establishes the, the law as a matter of, of internalized. We don't sit around and think about, okay, how do I keep these ten things? No, that's not it at all. But the moral character of God is seen. I wish I had time to just unfold that this morning. The, the moral character of God is seen in the law. When, you, when we read that earlier, what you should have been seeing, most of us say, okay, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. What you ought to see unfolded there is the moral beauty character of God Almighty who is absolutely holy and who each one of those expresses a dimension of His holiness. So this morning, what are you trusting in? What are you boasting about? What do you think is making you right with God? Your own ability? Or just the fact that God has touched your life, given you faith, and through that faith you are walking in Christ. Humbled? Humbled before Him, thanking Him, worshiping Him, praising Him, for what he has done. And trying to figure out how to get some credit. Because you think you've done something. Paul says this is the gospel. And this is the gospel of God that changes lives. 
This is the truth. Let's pray together.